Welcome back to the Buzz on Business podcast. In this edition, I have the opportunity to chat with Dr. Lex Smith-Washington, the Senior Diversity and Inclusion Officer for the Spears School of Business. Lex is an Associate Professor of Management, and her expertise includes gender and diversity issues at work. Lex's research has been featured by a number of national publications and websites, including The Washington Post, Yahoo News, and The Business News Daily. When I was looking for someone to lead the school's diversity and inclusion efforts, I didn't have to look far, as Lex is the perfect person for this position. I think you're going to enjoy our conversation and listening as Lex shares her vision with us. Lex, uh, great having you here. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit how you ended up in Stillwater after being born in Queens, New York? So my family and I are from um, New York. Um, My my mom is Jamaican originally and my dad is Guyanese and they immigrated here and uh, met in New York and and, and that's how I came to be. Honestly, you know, at the time when the position opened up here, I was teaching in New Jersey and living in New York City, and it was great. You know, it was home, all my family and friends were there, but I was tired, man. I was ready for a new pace of life. You know, I had a young family, a two-year-old daughter, and when Brian Edwards, who is still a faculty member here and was my advisor in, in graduate school, called me and said there was a position, I said, you know what? Why don't I take a look? So Brian recruited me, and you hired me, and now I'm here. <laughs> and we're delighted to have you here. Right. Uh, yeah, we were. You know, Brian really gave you a high recommendation. I, I was a little suspicious someone from Queens would want to come to Stillwater, but after talking with you, I thought eh, I think she will. So we're, mm-hmm. we're glad. So what do you like most about living here and and, and working at Spears? So. First of all, the reasons that brought me are still the reasons that I that I love. Like I wanted a change of pace for me and my family. I wanted a small town life where I could just live easily, you know, and I the the idea of it was at once overwhelming and also very welcoming. I had always been from a large city and so this was the smallest town I'd ever been to actually. And um it's actually been perfect for me and the kids um, you know, I love that they can play on the block, that we know our neighbors. Um, I love how kind everybody is here. Um, and I think my kids are really growing up with like a, just a really different point of view, you know. So my daughter is really, really annoyed with me because she's just joined Girl Scouts and I was like, I'm so excited for you. I will totally do the day hikes. I am not sleeping outside. That <laughs> is where I draw the line. There is none of that. That's what we have homes for. So, <laughs> um, so you know, it's just he has a whole different experience, and my sons will too. And so, you know, I love living in Stillwater for those reasons. And I've I've lived here now for eight and a half years, and I've thought many times about Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and I keep on sticking with Stillwater. <laughs> um, and then I think probably the best part about about working here at Spears is is, is that I'm I'm kind of out of place. And I feel like I have an impact here. You know, I feel like even though, you know, there's not a lot of people around here from Queens and there's not a lot of people around here that look like me, um, that's an opportunity. You know, that's an opportunity to, you know, have an impact on somebody that does look like me who feels lonely or somebody that doesn't look like me but is curious, you know, and wants to learn more about New York or being from the Caribbean or having small children or being black or a woman. So, well, Tell us a little more how you're experiences in life have influenced your research? Yep. You know, 
I keep going back to New York. You know, it's my roots, and I think most of us feel deeply connected to our roots. And I think for me, you know, Queens County is the most diverse county in America. It was when I was growing up there. And um, I think one of the things that happens when you grow up surrounded by all of that, you know, different colors, smells, and sounds, languages and accents, you just get used to always kind of being, you know, just one of many different looking people. And so I think that's always just kind of planted the seed for my interest in diversity and, and how we make it work, how we find equity and inclusion despite all being different with such different interests and attitudes and backgrounds. And then I, I definitely moved around a lot, you know, like I have immigrant parents. It was kind of in my blood, <laughs> you know, I love, seeing what's out there. So, you know, I moved to Houston, Texas for college. I went to Rice and that nourished my my interest in in recognizing that, you know, man, this is a really big world. I mean, I'm from New York and there's like the world comes to you when you're in a place like that. But when you leave, you get to really realize, wow, there's all different kinds of ways to live, all different kinds of ways to be and see the world. And I, I think I was just always kind of tolerant of those kinds of differences and then also curious. And, you know, I wanted to know more about really ways of, different ways of living. And I think when you, when you are comfortable or when you find a way to be comfortable, even outside of your comfort zone, I think of that as like my superpower. You know, I can find a way to feel okay even when there's nobody around that like is just like me. Um, and I think that I became curious about that. I became curious about different kinds of people and how we find a way to be inclusive. And I think I became a professor because I could just ask a lot of questions, <laughs> like for a living, <laughs> read a lot, and then try to go find the answer. What, that's the whole job? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do that. So, you know, I, I started off with an undergrad advisor who studied stigma and bias. And I thought, this is amazing. You just get to ask questions about why people have, you know, stereotypical views or prejudice. And then they answer your questions and, and you can find solutions for these things. That sounds great. Sign me up. <laughs> and my, my, um, my graduate school advisor was the same way. He studied um, really more how privilege and uh, society can give some people opportunities and others not. Um, and that really gave me, you know, the scholarly training that I needed. But, you know, they were both really different from me. My undergrad advisor was a white woman. My graduate school advisor was a Jewish man. Um, and both of them were significantly older than me. And the, the shared thing was our interest and our passion in social justice work and really seeing what knowledge can do to help us build more just society. And so um, it's through communities like, like most of the universities I've passed through, um, the PhD project that I really have been able to nurture my ambitions and you know, find a community that validated my passions and my questions and, and gave me the skills to go find answers. So that's been really fun.
And it's interesting, you've had experience in the two most diverse cities in the country, yeah. New York City and Houston. I think I read that Houston passed yeah. New York as, yeah. in terms of diversity. So obviously it was good training ground <laughs> for you. Exactly. Well, talk a little bit why you think diversity and inclusion are important at Spears, you know, creating that culture, but then also why is it so hard to do that? Yeah, it's, it's I'm gonna break, I'm gonna answer in two parts. The importance part, I, I and many others believe the purpose of education is to open our worlds. I think we are all, you know, raised, from, the, from our birth we are raised in a, in a context and that context gives us a point of view. You know, no matter what your point of view is, it, it was influenced by where you came from and heavily so. And because most of us, you know, start off in one spot and stay in that one spot, you know, you come to think that that is the worldview. And I think that the huge benefit of education, whether you go away to college or you sit in your room reading books, it opens the world to you. It opens the idea that there are other ways of understanding. There are other ways of seeing. And I think the college environment was really truly built for that. It was so interesting. I read an article this morning um, that was talking about colleges, and not everywhere in the world builds colleges like we do, you know, to be these sort of insular, campus, life-centered, you know, even if you're in the, like Rice was in the middle of Houston. I was across the street from like one of the biggest medical centers in the country, and you would never have known, and I didn't because I didn't have a car, because I'm from <laughs> New York, and you don't get a car, you know, as a teenager in New York. So, um, you know, I, I never even knew what all Houston had to offer because I was on this little tiny insular campus, and that's how we build our campuses, right? That's how OSU is, but I mean, it's bigger than Rice, but it's kind of the same, you know, like you could be here and not really even know you're in Oklahoma. And so when we create campuses like that, it's intended to take you out of that life that you knew, that world that was so familiar and drop you into something totally unfamiliar with new faces and different rhythms and schedules. And, and I think that's the strength of what college opportunities provide. I think that's one of the hugest benefits of the traditional college experience and you know more and more of us are seeking it, uh, want it, value it and so you know I think that's that's a huge part of our role here and I, I'm just gonna quote the late great RBG the educational experience for all students is enhanced if members of different cultures live and learn together. We will all profit from a more diverse, inclusive society, understanding, accommodating, and even celebrating our differences while pulling together for the common good. I mean, my love for RBG aside, this has been decided and decided and decided over and over again in courts of law, in institutions like our own, and among the people who seek it out. So I, I think we have a huge role in creating the kind of inclusive society that we want. Why is it hard? <laughs> I mean, people are fairly predictable in the sense that we like to be comfortable. That's why when I teach a class, no matter where I teach the class, no matter how many students I have, they always go to the same spot and not just because we have seating maps, <laughs> you know. They always pick their same seat because that's their seat and that's what they do every time. It's like a script. And that's how 
our society works. It's a number of little scripts about how we walk through our day-to-day -day life. And when we are out of our element, like in a diverse environment, that complicates the script. You know, if I'm talking to somebody, you know, you know, about a wedding coming up and I know that they're from Guyana, I know that they're gonna know that there's a kwekwe, which is, you know, a party the night before, the husband and the wife to be come and their families and everybody stay up all night long. That's why weddings don't start till five. <laughs> so, you know, they understand that. And so all I have to do is say, oh yeah, the kwekwe. And they know we're gonna be up all night <laughs> and I'll see you at the wedding at five, but really it'll be six. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's an understanding that's implicit. When we are in diverse environments, if I say quick way to you and I didn't explain it, you'd be like, are you okay, Lex? <laughs> you know, right? So when we are in these diverse environments and you don't have those taken for granted understandings, it's tiring. You know, it, it's a lot more words to explain what a quick way is than to just say it, right? And most of us like to be comfortable and go the easy route. And so we stick with what we know. We stick with what is familiar. And diversity necessarily asks us not to do that. And when we are in diverse environments, we are out of our comfort zone. And it takes a desire to go through something hard, right? We all know, yeah, I want A's, but do you want to do the work to study to get the A? <laughs> or you just want the A? Yeah, we all want an inclusive society. Yeah, we all want everybody to be treated fairly. But are you willing to do the easy and hard work of building that kind of society. And, um, and I think that's why it's hard. I think, I think it sounds good on paper, but when you actually have to go and do the work, it, it can be a challenge. Yeah, I know, even personally, I grew up in rural Iowa, which was, I think when I was in Iowa, the entire minority population was 1.5%. Wow. I had my first meaningful conversation with an African-American uh, my senior year at Iowa State. Now you College. contrast that with my sons who went to Will Rogers here in Stillwater. Mm -hmm. They had African Americans, mm -hmm. they had Koreans, they had Chinese, they, you know. Their experience was so much richer than mine. I, I just envy it so much because they really are so comfortable with different people because that is their experience. And it's so, and I, I do, I, you know, I still have things I grapple with because mm -hmm. of you know, those biases that are embedded in us. And, and they are so much more fluid. I, I, I just really admire that. Uh, I gotta tell you, Ken, you know, so even though I grew up in New York City, at the time, most diverse county in America, when I look around at my friends, they were just like me. I mean, they weren't just like girls that were black. They were children of Jamaican and Guyanese immigrants who lived in the same neighborhoods as us, went to the same school. So, you know, like, well, even you're right. when we, you're we all gravitate to comfort. You do. And ease. It's, right? it's, we're in essence lazy people. So we we, we kind of are. Right. So <laughs> we are lazy. It doesn't take that work. Well, you know, one thing that's fascinated me is the difference between diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So talk a little about that and how an organization could be diverse but not inclusive. Yeah, um, very easily, very easily. Um, just like, you know, we, are, we tend to naturally gravitate towards, you know, people that are like us, um, we have to also recognize that that happens in, at work, on campus, and in every other social setting. The issue is that some settings have been traditionally dominated by some group or another, right? So colleges 
by law in most states were traditionally only allowed for whites and before then just white men. So that historical trend carries over to where what we see as who belongs is still very anchored on who was originally here. And so when it comes to being inclusive, it can be difficult. You can make a very diverse student body, but if there's only one way to be successful here, then everybody has to act like this one person and or whatever that model is, right? In the workplace, we call it the ideal worker, right? The, the person who doesn't have personal life responsibilities, can come in all <laughs> times of the day and night, can travel at the drop of a hat, does not need sleep, <laughs> is constantly available by phone, via text, email, Zoom, whatever. But that person, by the way, typically is fueled by a life partner who handles all of the rest of their life. Not everybody has that structure, has that ability, has that privilege. And so when we build workplaces around that guy, we don't leave any room for anyone else. And that's how you can end up with a diverse environment where people are trying really hard to fit into a single mold. And so there is no inclusion. There's only the one way to be. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I, I think we all like to think we work hard, but then you realize as you get more aware that some people have to work really hard. Mm -hmm just to get to the same level. Exactly. And, uh, you know, again, I, you know, going to my experience, I, I had no concept of that, but the more I've learned and been around, you're right. I mean, it's stunning just how much harder exactly. certain groups have to work exactly. to get somewhere. You know, I, I teach about privilege all the time, but there's nothing more humbling than recognizing your privilege when it's been stripped for, a, even if it's only temporarily. You know, I, you remember I had a pretty major car wreck some years ago and I couldn't get around, I couldn't walk, I couldn't do anything. And I remember at, when I, like about a month or so later, when I could at least wheel around in my little wheelchair, I got myself to Walmart somehow and I was in the little, you know, scooter, which by the way, beeps when you back up. It's, <laughs> it's very encouraging for your self-esteem. Um, but you know, when you can't reach something on a high shelf and like, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to wait for somebody to come down this aisle <laughs> <laughs> and help me get this thing off this top shelf. And you realize, oh man, I never even think about being able to like walk or stand up or even climb the shelf to get to the top or anything. And so it is when we are stripped of our privilege that we get a chance to see how many legs up we have. Yeah, and I know some people are bothered by the term white privilege, but for me, it, it doesn't negate that I worked hard. It's just mm -hmm. a realization that other people have to work even harder. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I, mean, I think some people misinterpret that, that, oh, you had it easy. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it just, but someone different than you had it a lot harder. Exactly. And had, you know, I, there was that great phrase, right? We tell people to uh, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but we don't realize they don't have boots. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, I mean, that's, I think, the awareness we need to have. It doesn't negate your personal struggles or issues. It's just the recognition that other people's struggles may have been even more intense. Exactly. And more egregious. At the end of the day, privilege is not something individual. It's about a system, you know, like, 
the whole structure of the supermarket is built for people who are roughly five feet tall or taller. <laughs> and my five feet tall friends say that they're not even happy about the structure <laughs> of the supermarket. Right. So it's not that the person in the wheelchair is the problem or the person who is able-bodied is the problem. The stacks are too high, <laughs> you know, right. so. Yeah, well, why is it, you know, I, well, it is, right? It's difficult at times for people to talk about diversity and inclusion of these issues, right? What can we do to maybe bring down the, the tension and make it easier for people to have an open dialogue and discussion? I got a secret for you. Nobody's comfortable talking about it. <laughs> okay, good. I thought it was just no, me. Nobody is comfortable talking about it. I mean, how do you think I feel? Like, I come here from New York City, with my long locks and my black skin and you know my New York accent like it was stronger before <laughs> you know and and I'm teaching diversity and inclusion to a room full of students whose life experiences and backgrounds are many times totally different from mine right there were I have had so many experiences in Oklahoma that I can say are a first for me you know, um, you know, simple things like, you know, line dancing. That's new. <laughs> you know, horseback riding. New. <laughs> All of these things. And so when I walk into these classrooms, I think, how are these people going to see me? What are they going to think about what I have to say? Are they judging me? You know, when two people are talking in the back of the room, I'm like, oh, no, are they talking about me? Of course they're talking. I'm the professor. You know, <laughs> you know it's not comfortable for anyone. And I think... You know, just like I tell people who struggle with imposter syndrome, the best way to, rem to deal with it is to remember that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> and we're all making it up as we go along. And none of us are comfortable. And in fact, those of us who think that we have all the answers typically are the least knowledgeable about what's going on in the room. And so I think it just helps if you start doing some of your own homework, right? You don't know something or you're curious about something, Google it. Pick up a book, you know. I can't tell you how many times people ask me about my hair. I have long sister locks, and I, I get questions about it all the time. I'm happy to answer, but I'm also like, hey, you get a fuller explanation on Google. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, go to the library. Read any of these books. We are on a college campus. The number of brilliant minds giving talks, lectures, brown bags. Next time you pass one of those walls with all the papers hanging off it, Glance up there and see if there's going to be an interesting talk that, you know, strikes your, you know, attention. You know, it's usually only 45 minutes long, an afternoon, an evening. Go learn something. And then if you have questions, now you have some information to start the conversation with, you know. And I, I really, I think if we remember where we are, you know, we are surrounded by people who are here to learn. There's nothing wrong with asking questions, in my opinion. Uh, it's a good advice. I think one to realize first it is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? And it remains that way. But it, it shouldn't stop you then. And exactly. I tell students all the time, the main purpose of college should be to make you as uncomfortable as possible as mm -hmm. often as possible. Exactly. That's how you grow. That's how you become resilient. how you become confident. Exactly. As you overcome those things. See, when I tell them that at the beginning of my diversity class, I get the eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> they probably heard it from me. So that was, so exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, as you said, you're the mother of three young children. Uh, what are your hopes for the world that they will inherit? I just, I think I just primarily hope that their goodness 
and kindness is not squashed. I really, I hope that the world grows around them so that there's room for all that they really have to offer. Um, I hope that the racism and inequities that plagued, you know, their forebears are at least reduced by the time they have to confront them. I hope they're ready to confront them if they do have to. Um, and I think, I just hope that, you know, the heat of this summer and the, the way that we have been talking about race among other areas of social injustice and inequity have opened a lot of people's eyes and I hope we don't go back to sleep because we have to stay awake so that my kids have a nice, a nice world and get to live a nice life in it because this is a great place to be. And I, I think that I grew up hopeful and I want them to, to feel that way too. Uh, very well said. I mean, I think that uh, if we can get a little more love and kindness in the world mm -hmm. uh, and be open to each other, it, it will be better. And I, and I do hope uh, that we are uh, awake and we stay awake. Because we uh, need that to be awake to do the systemic right. changes that also need right. to happen. Right. <laughs> kindness is all good, right. but we need some policies. Oh, no. <laughs> I agree. And part of that, uh, those policies have to be an outgrowth exactly. of the kindness and love that we should share to each exactly. other. Exactly. And make sure that everyone has those equal opportunities to that stuff. So. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Lex. Always a pleasure to talk with awesome. you. And we're, again, we're delighted to have you with us. Uh, not just now, but for the last eight years and <laughs> exactly. hopefully into the future. So mm -hmm. thank you very much. Thanks. So that's it for now. Uh, please stay tuned and look forward to our next Buzz on Business podcast.